The hirelings in the church, they are for themselves. They're for the money. They're for the prestige. They're hirelings, and when the wolf comes, they run away. They do not have the heart of Christ. They have no true concern for the church, John 10. But true shepherds, those who God has to lead, have a concern for the flock because Jesus is moving their heart to be concerned. Welcome to this midweek edition of Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints is a daily radio outreach from Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And our teacher is Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church. And Greg, today we're going to continue our look at Nehemiah chapter 7. And this is a chapter that some might overlook. Yes, Dave, indeed there are some who overlook this chapter and see it as just a bunch of names and numbers, but... There are some hidden gems in here to be uncovered. So turn with us to Nehemiah chapter 7. Well, be sure to stay with us for the end of today's broadcast. Greg will join us in studio with some practical application. And I'll also be back with information on how you can obtain messages from the series for your own library. Now, let's join Greg for today's teaching. The governor gave the treasury 1,000 gold drachmas. Now, there's another word for drachma. We'll see it later on. It's, that's, it's a Persian coin, a daric, I think it is. Basically, it was months worth of wages, about eight grams of gold, something like that. I don't, I don't know how many ounces it was. You can look it up. But it was a lot of money. So think of giving a thousand months wages. That's a significant gift. These are big numbers. These are gracious, large gifts for the work of ministry. And that's a point that we'll see later on, that God moved people to help provide for the work of the ministry. And these are gracious, big gifts. The governor gave the treasury 1,000 gold drachmas, 50 basins. Those will be gold basins, by the way. 530 priests' garments. This is all for the ministry, all because they were coming in, right? And they were revamping. We see it back in the first Nehemiah. We'd also see it here, but expanded in the numbers, also with the governor. And some of the heads of the father's households gave to the treasury of the work 20,000 gold darns and 2,200 silver minas, and that which the rest of the people gave was 20,000 gold drachmas and 2,000 silver minas and 67 priest garments. The people gave a ton, too. That's a lot. Now, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their cities. Now, Ezra ends at that statement. So it's thought that actually chapter 8 starts at the second half of actually this verse right here. And when the seventh month came, the sons of Israel were in their cities. It transitions from how, first of all, they were in their cities, but here now Israel is like this first group. They're in their cities. They're not fully established with Jerusalem yet. That's really what it's moving to point to, okay? So with that in mind, wanted to make sure we went through the word word for word. And that, these genealogies are pretty straightforward, not much teaching to be taught about it. But what we do understand is that God cares about people. And he knows your name. And he knows what you're doing. And here, he's recorded those who sacrificed their comfy lives, and they had comfy lives in Babylon, and they left to serve the Lord. And they're named here, okay? Okay, so with that in mind, let's take a look at our passage back where we start again. And we're going to see how... God, through Nehemiah, appointed some leadership. Notice our verse 1. Now, it came about when the wall was rebuilt. 
Right? All right. And I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. Okay? And he's going to say, it came about when all this was done, then I did this. So he's going to say, and notice back in chapter 6, verse 15, so the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Ul in 52 days. That's the sixth month of the Jewish calendar. That is five days before what we're going to read here and what begins in chapter 8. We're going to see in chapter 8, verse 2, notice this, look at chapter 8, verse 2. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. That's five days after the completion of the wall. We're going to see that God moves the people in the context of Nehemiah's desire to bring them together. He moves them to come together. And he moves them to hear the word of God, as we're going to see, and to be convicted by the word of God. And it's great. By the way, just read through these chapters going on, and you read about even later on when he talks about their sin, and you see the sin of Israel. They confess their sin, but they confess the whole nine yards from when it started. You know, they go up through it, and you hear it one thing after another. A great summary of Israel's sin, but God's faithfulness. He never forsook them. But he disciplined them as a nation, right? Very awesome. And so here, we're reading a chapter, chapter 7, which is five days before chapter 8. And we're going to find out that chapter 8, they're going to realize, whoa, it's the time for the Feast of Booths. They're getting convicted, and they actually do it for the first time ever since Joshua. There's a change going on. There's conviction. There's a change going on with these people. And we'll see that when we get to chapter 8. So here... Within five days after the wall's point, Nehemiah does, he appoints gatekeepers. Those are people that keep gates. They, they're hanging out by the gate. They keep the gate, right? And then notice he says, also, we have the Levites and the singers. He says here, uh, the singers and the Levites were appointed. And that's a good principle for us. The word and worship needs to be a priority. The Levites, as we'll see in chapters 8 and 9, they were bringing forth the word also. We're going to see that. And the singers, they were to sing and praise God the word and worship. He appointed those, got those appointed. It's important, the worship and the word of God. And so it's from this point that he does something. Notice what it says, verse 2, that I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem. Wall's done, time to appoint leaders of Jerusalem, right? And he does so. And we're going to see from this and have some principles that will help us from the Old Testament and how to appoint leaders along with the New Testament passages, okay? So he's speaking of leadership in Jerusalem. They were put in charge. Jerusalem's got walls. It's got gates. Now it has leadership. And we're going to see all it needs after that is people. And that's going to come after their hearts are addressed with the word. And we're going to see they will come. Okay, so here we have this. Now it's important to look at this. We can gain some Principles of leadership. These things are written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come, right? And so we're going to look at this. And notice, first of all, that he appoints leadership here. And we know in the New Testament, Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, Acts 6, Acts 20, we have passages that tell us about leadership. But here, this is going to go with it. I'm not going to teach those other passages today. I'm going to teach from Nehemiah. And we'll learn those principles and how they apply. But they flow right into what we see in the New Testament as we are in the church. Okay, so then, 
Notice, first of all, I believe Nehemiah knew them well. He didn't appoint people he didn't know. First of all, he says that I put Hananiah, my brother. We're going to see he knows him, but there's some important things about that. And then he says, Hanani, and then Hananiah, the commander of the fortress in charge. A little side principle, these are not women. He's not appointing women in charge. God made men and women in his image. In Christ, we are equal under the blood of the cross. But he has given us differing roles. We see in Genesis very clearly that it was not Adam that was deceived, but Eve was quite deceived. Adam rebelled. That's much worse. The fall is on Adam, not on Eve. The fall is on him. But if you look, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We see a New Testament principle, which Nehemiah, he's appointing men here. He's not appointing women. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. That's pretty straightforward. If you're faithful, you'll want to obey the Lord, right? But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Now, some will say that's just cultural. Back in those days, uh, the culture didn't allow it. No, it's not true. He uses an illustration that supersedes culture. He uses Adam and Eve. Notice what he says here. For, explaining... Adam was first created, then Eve. It's the order of creation, first of all. And then notice what he says, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. He's saying, hey, it was the woman who was deceived. So that's why Paul does not allow women in church leadership. We see that. It's very clear. There is a headship that God has ordained. It doesn't make you any less. There are proper roles we have Christ who submitted to the Father, right? He submitted to the Father, proper roles, but yet equal, right? We have these roles here. And notice what it says. But a woman shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity and self-restraint. Well, there's some churches that say, wow, women's going to be saved. The word means saved by childbearing. No, that's not true. She's going to be delivered, saved from the temptation of being in the wrong place and being deceived by trying to be a leader by being in her right place by raising children and being faithful and in the faith, right? That's, you're going to be delivered. You're going to be delivered from that temptation if you're in your right role, ladies. That's what he's saying. Okay, so that's the first little principle. Nehemiah did not appoint women. He appointed men here, and we see that in the New Testament. But also here, he knew them. The first one here is, I put Hanani, my brother. Now, you think this might be nepotism, right? You see nepotism throughout churches, right? Maybe good, maybe bad. Nepotism, what's that? It's putting a relative in a position, whatever it might be. Giving them a relative, a son, a daughter, whatever it might be, relative, a special position, right? Because of their blood relationship, right? Well, I don't think so. I think you might remember that Hanani was the one who came and informed them of the Jew situation. He was a man who was faithful. He was one that had left and gone with Ezra, as I see, not the first one, but with Ezra, and had gone to serve the Lord. And he was in Jerusalem, thousands of miles away from Persian Empire. A very difficult thing, right? And he came back with a report, and in his report we will see that he was grieved, in a sense, as he shared it, over the state of Jerusalem, the walls and the gates, and also he reported that the people were very much downcast, that it was not good. So he was a good, faithful 
person to Nehemiah. He gave good reports. He had the right heart. And Nehemiah obviously knew him, right? And then we got, actually, I'll read this first. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. Turn back there, back there where we see him. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Halkiah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, that's him, right? One of my brothers and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity in about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there is province who survived in captivity is in great distress and reproach. And he goes on to talk about the gates and the walls, right? And that's what caused Nehemiah to really be on his knees in mourning and then prayer, right? But not only did he know his brother, obviously, you know, we know our relatives pretty well, and if they're qualified, you know them pretty well, right? You know, hey, okay, they are following the Lord, they're qualified, you know them, right? He also knew this other guy, evidently. I put Hananiah, my brother, back in our passage, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress in charge of Jerusalem. Two guys. The other guy, he was the commander of the fortress. You go, what's that? The commander of the fortress, that sounds pretty big. Well, the term fortress can speak of citadel or palace. So evidently, this guy had a high position. He was the commander. Nehemiah knew him. He was the governor. Obviously, he had probably done well, and he appointed him. He knew him. Sadly, you see in church people who maybe come for a couple months, and all of a sudden they're a deacon. Now, that's a recognized servant, or they're appointed as others. I hear these things. I go, wait a second. How can you possibly know this person? How can you know them? How can they be tested uh, in such a short time, you need to know them. He understood them. He knew them. We see that here. And also we see in the New Testament that First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 imply that you have observed their character. You've had time to see a Christ-like character. You see that. And we also know certainly they're not to be new converts. First Timothy 3.8. We know that also, right? So the principles, you need to know who you're appointing. You need to know him, right? Pretty straightforward, right? Secondly, notice from Hanani's example, Nehemiah appointed those concerned for the Lord's name and his people. Clearly, when I read chapter 1, we see Nehemiah's brother, he had a concern for the spiritual welfare of God's people and God's name. You appoint people who care about the Lord and care about God's people. They have a concern for God's name, Leaders need to be concerned about his people and the Lord's name. We have a principle in 3 John. Turn to 3 John. It's a tertiary principle. It's not the main principle, but it's part of it. We'll see. 3 John, near the end, near Revelation, just a little shorter there, Jude after that, Jude, and then Revelation. 3 John, I won't read the whole thing, but 3 John, verse 6, And they bear witness, that's the church, of your love before the church, and that to do well to send them on their way in a manner of God. Now, speaking of these people that came, they were like missionaries in a sense, okay? And he's saying, hey, treat them well. And I'm going to look at verse 7. For they went out for the sake of the name. They went to serve the Lord. They went out for the sake of the name. And notice this, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. This is a principle. No fireworks stands to raise money for Christ. No outdoor things, barbecue and getting money for Christ. For the sake of the name... For the Lord Jesus, they didn't accept money from non-believers. And they are praised for that. It's a principle here. 
for God's sake. They had a sense of his name not being dragged. His name gets dragged through the mud with the non-believers. The church needs our cash, man. They're having a problem. Whatever it might be, you know, you see that. Non-believers supporting the work of the church. Doesn't need to be that way. Shouldn't be that way. Notice what he says here. Therefore, we ought to support such men that we would be fellow workers with them in the truth. Little principle. They went for the sake of the name. And they didn't want the money from the Gentiles, right? And therefore, they should be supported. Okay, that's one little illustration there. We also know when the Apostle Paul addressed the Romans concerning non-believing Jews in chapter 2, he quotes Isaiah 52 saying that God is blasphemed by the Gentiles because of these Jews' self-righteous, unbelieving actions. They claim the name of Yahweh, but yet they don't know him, and his name is blasphemed. People who love the Lord are concerned about God's name. They're concerned about his reputation, okay? And also he had a concern for the people. He saw they were greatly distressed. And he relayed that in a way that moved Nehemiah, obviously. Obviously we have the summary of that in chapter 1. We know that the hirelings in the church, they are for themselves. They're for the money. They're for the prestige. They're hirelings. And when the wolf comes, they run away. They do not have the heart of Christ. They have no true concern for the church, John 10. But true shepherds, those who God has to lead, have a concern for the flock because Jesus is moving their heart to be concerned like he is. Those who have a heart of Christ shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. 1 Peter 5, 2. Godly leaders are concerned with the spiritual state of his children. Hebrews chapter 13, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they watch over your souls. They protect you with the word of God, feed you, and protect you from threats, right? They're concerned. So Nehemiah appointed those who had a concern, a concern for the people that they would be over, spiritually speaking. Now notice, Nehemiah also appointed those who could do the job. Look at verse 2 again, back in Nehemiah 7. Then I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress in charge of Jerusalem. He's the commander of the palace. He has proven himself as a leader in this sense, right? He puts him in charge. Now, don't get me wrong here. We need to recognize that just because someone is good in business, you don't go out like these churches say, hey, this is a really good businessman. Let's put him as a leader. No, they have to be godly. But not only do they need to be godly, they need to actually be able to do the task. First Timothy chapter 3 says, how can someone who can't manage his own household manage the church of God? You've got to be able to do the task. And this guy he appointed was the commander. First Timothy 3, I'll read this for you. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Got to be able to do it. Got to be qualified in a sense, have the ability to do it. But that doesn't mean you just take somebody who's the commander of something and put them in that position. They need to be godly, as we have seen. But they need to be able to do it too, right? Need to be qualified. And then notice, this is the most important thing here that we have, and this is the character of this second man, which I believe is the character of his brother also, it's implied. Notice what he says here. They put them in charge of Jerusalem, middle of verse 2, for he was a faithful man, Hananiah. 1 
for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Hey, it's fine to appoint the guy who's a really good businessman, but he better be a faithful man and fear God more than many, right? He better be truly a Christ-like person, right? This is an amazing statement. This amazing testimony of this man. He's a faithful man who feared God more than many. That means it was evident to Nehemiah, his faithfulness. It was evident to Nehemiah, his fear of the Lord, that it was more than many. Now, folks, faithfulness speaks of trustworthiness. It is required of servants of the Lord. It's required of servants. We are required to be faithful in what God has called us to do. We're going to see we're required to be faithful as husbands and wives, to obey our master in regards to his commands in regards to our wives and our husbands. We're to be faithful at our work, to obey our master in regards to his commands at work. We're to be faithful in regards to our master in regards to his commands in the body of Christ. We're to be faithful. It's required. You see, God tells us to do something in his word. He entrusts you with a gift or talent. He expects you to be faithful, and we do that by his power and strength. And I believe if you are faithful or not, you know it. I believe you know if you've been faithful in what God has called you, if you've been unfaithful in that. Do you remember the parable the Lord gave and shared in Matthew 24? Matthew 24, verse 45 who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master will put in charge of the household and to give them bread in his proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. He's doing the master's will. Faithful slaves do what the master says. What our master, it's not me telling you what to do. It's not you telling me what to do. It's what God tells us in his word we are to do. And we are either faithful to that or we are not faithful. As we'll see, we might be not as faithful as some, maybe more faithful than others. The reality is we are called to be faithful. Matthew 25, what does the Lord tell the faithful slaves? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We understand faithfulness on a human level. You ask someone to do something, they say they're going to do it and they don't do it. It's not faithful. Now, we got to recognize that sometimes as believers, God will lead us through circumstances to not accomplish what we might have said we're going to do. The Apostle Paul, an example, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he had said he was going to come back and visit them, but God was prompting his heart to wait because of their state. And so he was accused of not being faithful, but Paul was still faithful, as we're going to see. So we got to be careful that we're not the judges of everyone else's faithfulness. It should be evident to us. It should shine towards us, Right. But here, notice the body of Christ. We should be faithful for Christians. Paul would speak of those in Ephesus as faithful in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1.1. He speaks of this really great guy, Tychicus, who is a beloved and faithful minister of the Lord, Ephesians 6.21. He would address those in Colossae as the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, Colossians 1.2. He would speak of Epaphras as a beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. The Apostle Paul would tell people to do stuff. Epaphras, do this, and Epaphras was faithful in those things. He was serving Christ. He was serving Christ. He was faithful. Tychicus is mentioned again in Colossians 4-7. Our brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant.
If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. You know, Greg, today we saw Nehemiah exhibit great wisdom in appointing leaders. Yes, we did, Dave. And Nehemiah is a godly man in which we can learn from his inspired example. And now we're not done with our passage yet, so please join us for the next edition of Equipping the Saints. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Yeah.